my chaotic creatives, and welcome to AU City, your local hashtag deviates from canon podcast. For as long as it's consensual, anything goes. As long as you have a safe word. My safe word of the day, arachnophobia. <laughs> and I am your co-host, Ray Noble. My pronouns are he and they. And I am a connoisseur of slow burn and mutual pining, as well as the local astrology queer. And yes, the moon is probably making you feel emotions right now. I'm your other co-host, V Park, pronoun she, they, an author and sometimes screenwriter who is currently being personally victimized by the moon. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> All right. So actually, that's a that's a really good segue to a question that I have. Uh, designated wow. astrology queer. What <laughs> is in the stars? for today's episode. <laughs> Tell me about what the, uh, you know, the storytelling constellation five yeah. W's and sometimes H plus D and, or, you know, grab bag of any of those means when it's, uh, conjuncted with today's moon waxing trine house of Capricorn. Do we have enough astrology buzzwords yet? Well, it was enough to make me want to host an episode about astrology and writing, uh, but we're going to file that idea. <laughs> we're going to file it because while I have your ears hostage, I actually plan on breaking down what I'm currently working on, which unlike me is not technically scripted. It, well, it is scripted, but it is not a screenplay. I am working on prose instead. And even though it is technically episode two of season four, uh, it's kind of also chapter two. We haven't really figured out how we're doing it yet, but that is the beauty of fucking around and finding out. So, yeah. This, I mean, this is definitely like a, a very fine representation of literary fucking around is where you start doing something and you're like, I'm going to change the media halfway through. Because um, why not? Why not? I say, that's, I say do it. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And honestly, what I'm most excited about uh, being able to write with prose rather than in a screenplay is getting to really deep dive into the character's feelings and thought processes. Um, and especially in collaboration with you, V, because I think uh, both of our insights on the characters really bring them even more to life. And that's the entire benefit of fandom, honestly. But you know, I love yeah. fandom, but you also know that I'm a Capricorn and therefore allergic to emotion, right? Yeah, and I'm the astrology gay here. Which means you use astrology as a way to blame your emotions on the planets. I don't understand the question and I will not respond to it. There was no question, Lucille Bluth. But I guess we can talk about something you will respond to. Like, uh, okay, so what's your dramatic fucking around of the moment, AKA, you know, creative project on which we're practicing your storytelling skills? Bye. Okay, I guess we can break it down. So today's thesis, Professor V, is that I primarily write novels uh, and audio fiction is my second love. And I've often found myself kind of asking if I should shift my focus from one project style and industry to another. Uh, and as we can attest to, I have written too many scripts this year. Um, I think I have written about four total and not all of them were written in record time, but at least two of them were written under duress of my own personal deadline. And I am a little burnt out on scripts. Basically, I am burnt toast and my edges are crispy. And I am only edible if you scrape them off with a butter knife. All right, I'm going to need you to stop watching Hannibal right before we record. I tell you that I made caramelized onions while watching Hannibal one time. I feel like once was enough to be concerned because the way that you phrased it was like in the, like the... The, the way that was not pejorative, but like not just a little friendly, but like a little too friendly. Like the caramelized onions were, there was a kinky factor there is all I'm saying. I, I don't know what you are trying to imply about caramelized onions and kink factors, <laughs> but I was alone. <laughs> it is warranted. I will say the concern is warranted. I don't think most people would be cooking while watching Hannibal, but it's just what I do. I grew up eating spaghetti while watching Bones every Friday in high school. That was a thing I did, like, actively. So I get it. <laughs> but I am quick query. Can root vegetables, in fact, consent? <laughs> Discuss. Oh, perhaps root vegetables needs to be the safe word of the episode. <laughs> 
already chose mine. You can use you can use onions okay. if you want. Caramelized okay. onions. <laughs> Caramelized onions. Uh, anyway, I am actually really glad that you brought Hannibal up, though, because we are actually going to be mentioning him and all of the um, adaptations and beautiful stories around him. Um, but we're going to do that a little bit later. So let's see. Where were we? <laughs> I don't I know where it. we were, but I know that there was some some definite kinky shit happening where we were. Oh, that was. There was there was some kinky shit happening. OK, I see it. I see it happening. Oh, OK. OK, we're back. ADHD has been contained. We're fine. This is the danger of having a neurodivergent sailed ship here, but it's yeah. fine. We're so. mitigating it. We're accepting it. We're moving on. Exactly. So we were just talking about Hannibal and we will be talking a little bit more about him later and every adaption ever because there's like 50 of them. But we are actually going to be circling back around to um, what we are working on this week and what all of next week's episode is going to be about our lovely Nancy Drew. OK, so my big question this week is what truly lends a medium to a specific story? What makes you choose writing a script versus writing a novel versus a graphic novel or a comic book? What really lends a medium to specific stories? And so my biggest goal here is to explore the different relationships that mediums have to that specific story. And I think that in this case, what benefits the audience of your story the most and how it affects not only the genre of story, but the themes of the story that you're trying to tell, how all of those are really going to be highlighted best when you're delivering it. Uh, in my episode two, I want to capture as much of the show's vibes and like energy as possible while still having like the firmest grasp possible on the curious and whimsical darkness that the books had. Uh, and I kind of want to just blend them into one giant amalgamation, a Cronenberg, if you would. <laughs> okay, so just to clarify, just to make sure that I'm following. So we're talking about, you're kind of talking about how like the CBS reboot of Nancy Drew as, you know, shown on the CW is similar to Hannibal. But are, are you saying, so you're kind of saying, this is what I'm hearing at least that you're kind of taking the Hannibal vibe approach to your next showy episode of our AU Nancy Drew season four, or you're actually comparing and contrasting Hannibal with Nancy Drew, because either way, I'm totally on board. I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm frightened and I'm also a little aroused. Oh no. Okay. So I specifically mean uh, that I really think that Hannibal is a great contrast to the Nancy situation, especially in terms of IP and how the books and the movies and the TV series have all taken on lives of their own and really built on one like one another as they've gone. And I think that the show Nancy Drew in relation to the book series Nancy Drew has really brought something to the table, if that makes sense. It's really like at least made it even more accessible to it's original fandom, I think. And uh, I think that that is also something that Hannibal has done. I think that it has really, the TV show has made it more accessible to an entirely new subset, an entirely new audience while still By which getting you mean the original. The queer people. <laughs> exactly. I mean <laughs> our people. I do queer, mean our people. Queer representation at any cost slash even if it needs to be headcanon and invented, which I think is very valid <laughs> on both notes. I think we're almost veering into like a very literary lean here. What you're describing is kind of like how in Hannibal, the, you know, the different, the different reboots and things of the show are like almost in conversation with each other. Whereas yeah. things like Nancy Drew, what I love about them is it's like the, the IP or like the concept kind of almost grows with the characters. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the original Nancy Drews were very like middle grady. They were very entry level. Any age could read them really. There wasn't any really like content warning, so to speak. Um, but then the fact with this show that it's like gotten a little bit more self-aware and mature and queer and diverse and, you yeah. know, confronting not just its own history but like its role in other people's lives and like it's almost its role in history and like society I think that's right. really interesting and an excellent point 
which we can yeah. totally unpack in like a college course. Oh, I'm so glad that you think so, because yeah, I definitely thought that there was something interesting there when I saw the correlation. I just wasn't exactly sure where yeah. it was. I just saw the patterns. <laughs> well, I love that. And again, there's the neurodivergent experience of like, wait a second, there's a pattern here that no one else is paying attention to because they're all looking at the pretty colors. But well, as Will Graham would say, this is my design. So explain to me how then like, so, okay, you're talking about that's, that's a really good point. So unpack the design for me, for those who don't think in layers, like you do not, that there's anything wrong with layers again, cause they're great. Um, you know, in your multitasking. So by changing the medium from screenwriting to prose, which is essentially what you're doing with this episode two slash chapter two, right. Um, you are, you're saying that it, you feel like it not just gives you more control over the storytelling, but it feels closer to like how you choose to experience or like digest this particular story. Right. So, so I'm curious, like, if, if I may, like, this is like a safe space, but like from changing it, you know, it sounds like you, you want to be closer to how the characters are feeling, or you want more control over how the readers or the viewers, listeners, whatever experience, how the characters are feeling. Is that kind of, is that kind of explain, explain that thought process to me. Thank you, Charlie Rose. I will. <laughs> Don't call uh, that ever again. I had to. How dare you? <laughs> Okay. Point being, yes, I, I do. I think that was a great question. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, but yeah, that is exactly what I want to do because I find that almost every like TV show or like mini series that I watch and that I really find myself getting hyper fixated with, I always want to know more. I want to feel more. I want there to be a little bit more. And that's why I truly love novels and manuscripts and fan fiction that is prosy because you really do get the experience of exploring what the fuck ever you want when you're writing prose uh, you are not at all confined to a specific narrative or a specific type of narrator um, you really get to do whatever the hell you want and so i can explore every single character and every single emotion that they're feeling if i want to if I wanted to, theoretically, I could spend 5,000 words waxing poetic about what Ace thinks about Nancy's hair. And I would do that. I and would do you that. you will. I, I think I, that's I a might. really good. So that sounds like, are you the kind of person then that like, if you've not read, a, if you've never read the books and you've never watched a TV show of a given thing, regardless of which happened first, because we know everyone thinks it's chicken egg book to movie, but more and more it's like movie to book or show to book. Right. And those are called novelizations. So are you the type of person that like, for example, if you found a new show or you heard about a movie coming out, are you the type of person who goes and reads the book before you go see the movie or watch the TV show so that you know more than the people watching know? Or are you the type of person who watches the whole show, binges it, then goes and buys all the books, binges those, then goes back and watches the show again? Or are you oh, both? I have been both. I have been both at separate points in my life. My ADHD has caused me to um, not be either of those anymore. But I used to be the sort of person that if I knew a, book, a movie or a TV show was adapted by a book first, I would go read that book and then swear up and down that that book was going to be better than whatever adaption had made it to screen. Then I kind of turned into realizing that all adaptions have their merits. Um, and as I recently told you the other day, realizing that all adaptations are truly just fanfic. Yep. <laughs> but anyway. or, I mean, yeah, or, or everything it's, is fanfic of something. It's every, like, exactly. Everything's fanfic yeah. of something. And this is, especially when you're looking about like adaptations, please tell me that Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings series is not his, his like visual fanfic of his own, of his favorite story. Like, you know, like how much, how much of our most classic stories are like Bible fanfic or like Greek mythology fanfic or Shakespeare fanfic. And then there's like the overt fanfics, like the, you know, 50 shades of gray being low key, high key, you know, twilight fanfic or the, uh, what's the other one? The, uh, one I won't mention the title of that everyone in publishing knows is Raylo fanfic yep. to the point where they even put the space ones on the cover. Uh, you know, that's, that's just an example. Uh, but you yeah. know, that's, that's a conversation probably if should have another day of how many degrees of separation between the inspiration of a thing and the execution of a thing mm -hmm. will legally be required before you can claim oh. that this is a new thing. 
Yeah, and on top of that, that I do think that will lend very well to our podcast and our purposes. So that is definitely something to have an episode about. I am going to circle back kind of to the point though. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, like I do think that um, I did have a period where I would like consume TV, whatever, and then read things and go back and criticize. And ever since, and this actually started um, when I became a Marvel fan back in the like late high school, like college years, I realized that there was absolutely no goddamn way I could read every single comic series about every single character that I did not give a shit about just so I could say I did and that I thought that it was better. And at this like point, for the flex. yeah, just for yeah. the flex. And that's what I really realized is that it was just for the flex. It wasn't because I enjoyed it. And so now, nowadays, I only go searching for, for more if it is a hyper fixation, if it's something that I truly fell in love with, or if it's something that like, I think I could benefit learning from. So like actually circling back to Hannibal, Hannibal, the reason I am on a hyper fixation kink with Hannibal right now is because, uh, it's, it's what it is. Kick, but kink is also applicable. I, did I mean kick? Because I think I meant kink. Okay. <laughs> it's Hannibal. No shame. <laughs> Thank you. Um, unfortunately in this context, it's a little bit of a kink. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's honestly why I've gone back recently is because I feel like there's so much to learn from both the TV show and especially from like the classic Silence of the Lambs movie. There, like, it is a perfect masterpiece of tension and dialogue, in my personal opinion. I think that they do a really good job of just really kept capturing the vibes of the character. And one of my favorite things about Silence of the Lambs versus the Hannibal TV show is that you still see the original idea of Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal so well in Mads Hannibal, Mads Mickelson's. You see it and you see him adding more to it and yet still making it his own. And that is truly one of my favorite things about it. And I really love how he has added and made it something that he can blatantly say, I played Hannibal to the best of my ability. But if you watch everything from beginning to end, like prequel stories and all of that up until the last movie that Anthony Hopkins is in, it will make sense. You will see the fluidity of this character moving forward and you will see how Mads' Hannibal could turn into Anthony's Hannibal. And I think that that is just so interesting that actors and writers could have such reverence for a story that they're able to continue to do that. Uh, and even in movies where Anthony has blatantly said he regrets doing the uh, other Hannibal movies that he wishes he'd only done silence. And even with that in mind, I still think the way that he handled Hannibal moving forward is just fantastic. And so that's why I really love and think it's such a great contrast and compare piece with Nancy. And I will probably continue to bring it up as we're going because I'm still in hyperfixation mode, but I just think that they are really great juxtaposed media pieces, especially with them being in different genres and having a completely different audience, but having such a similar continuation and fervent love of fandom moving forward, especially when we usually only see that with big things like Star Wars or Marvel characters, that sort of thing. Yeah, so it's the, it's like you're turning a character into an icon. It's the same Sherlock Holmes type thing where it's like you can have an unlimited number of books because that's what that's I think that's also what draws me to characters like that. And there's a whole other, you know, like story in and in and of like, you know, kind of the uh, the villain retcon and or like villain origin story or like, you know, they call it the heart of darkness and some things like that, you know, how did Hannibal become Hannibal type things. But I love, I, and to be full disclosure, I can't really chime in as much on the Hannibal because I think I watched like most of season one, um, really liked the, you know, kind of Mads Mikkelsen daddy vibes for sure. But, and the ASMR, but I am one of those people that also like has very vivid and violent dreams about things that I watch. And so if I watch (laughs) too much stuff, it stays in there and I can't unsee it. So I had to kind of take a, take a break, but I think it sounds like another thing that, um, you're kind of bringing up and I don't know if this was consciously done on your part or not, but I think it's a really good 
point of this entire podcast when we talk about collaborative storytelling and how even if one person maintains all full ownership of a character or it's not like a Carolyn Keene situation, like, you know, we talked about how Carolyn Keene was a pen name that the Stratomare Syndicate came up with in case any listeners, you know, weren't listening to our pilot telly episode of the season. But a lot of the time, I think like our, our favorite things, you know, like Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes or the, the Hannibal Lecter, which is now its entire franchise, or even like the Terminator series. I feel like a lot of people um, either fail to understand how much of their favorite character was created, like, you know, as a village, if not by the creators themselves or like the, you know, studios that put together creative teams or multiple mm-hmm. writers. Um, how much of a character's canon and backstory and like belovedness, if you will, whatever the word is for that, comes from the fans and how they interact. And if you look at like the current issue, what's happening with like our flags means our flag means death, for example, and how much of that fandom is based on like fans interacting and creating memes and like creating their own little side head cannons to like really you know, buoy up these characters, even though they're well done. I just feel like we need to be constantly reminding people of that, you know, how much, how much Hannibal Lecter definitely would not have aged up or stayed relevant if it weren't for these nuances that the fans who are digesting, perfect Hannibal joke, by the way, people are digesting (laughs) Hannibal. Oh, so good. It's becoming part of them. And then they're spitting back out, you know, uh, new things. Which is why I'm also such a big proponent of like spinoffs and like people doing like I will always be as a creator, someone who encourages the hell out of my fans to like do fanfic, fan art, whatever, because to me, I think like that's how we relate to each other. Right. Like that's how we create more compassion between human beings. It's like maybe I'm not a murderer. I don't eat people. But after watching a couple episodes of the show, it's like I could I could empathize, you know. I mean, yeah, I am. At well, at least um, not judge him as much, you know, which is something. If you, if, if we're worried about it, you know that I know how to dispose of bodies and we can talk about that later. So <laughs> we're going to continue to talk about that. I think at length throughout the history of this podcast. So. Okay. So, so <laughs> kind of back to, you, my ways. not to go all Pam on you uh, <laughs> or get all therapy, but, but please do remember this is a safe space. But can I ask, you said something before that kind of stuck in my brain and I hmm. want to know more about it. So you kind of mentioned how like for you, and this may have been recorded or not, but you mentioned how, you know, the, for you, is more the books that are part of like your personal, um, you know, connection with the Nancy Drew character. And that's kind of what got you in more of it. But you also said something that I think was really interesting. And I want you to kind of unpack a little bit. Can I, so, so what is it about specifically, like you said, you prefer writing mostly prose and then also audio, but what is it specifically about the act of writing prose that makes you feel more rooted than any other medium? Because I think there's maybe like an episode worth of material just with that, but feel free to, you know, kind of condense it. Wow. Yeah. That's like, like why is book your love language is the short version of that. I love that question. I love it so much. I don't know if I have a true answer for you, especially considering, um, and V knows this, I think I don't do a ton of reading anymore. My ADHD is very, very, very not happy with words on pages. So I do a lot of audiobooks, that sort of thing. Um, And so I get through maybe a handful of books a year. I do most of my reading being fanfic or articles or just things that I can read quickly on my phone. And so like, it's really weird to admit that books are like the love of my life still. And that there is one of those that you just get a feeling when you walk into a bookstore and you're surrounded by them. And maybe that's not a feeling that other people get, but it is always a feeling that I have gotten. It is a magical, strange feeling that when you see words on a page, it just feels right. and. Yeah, that's it. Really comes down to the fact that I think my writing style and the way that I have always written and the way that I have taught myself has always been because I am in love with the creation of books and the creation of just the idea of putting story down on paper. For some reason, there is so many 
stories that we will never have access to or never know the roots of because they were spoken or because they were lost. Um, like cry over the library of Alexandria. Think of all of the, all of the things we will never know. Don't get me started on the library of Alexandria. Goddamn exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Goddamn so, like, it's just one of those things for me where there is nothing like being able to capture a perfect moment and essence of something in words and having two sentences one sentence whatever be able to evoke so much just from seeing them on the page you don't even need to hear them spoken and you can feel things like that's magical to me and that's really I don't know it's just one of those things where it's like a musician is a musician because he can hear the mu- music and falls in love with it. And that's, it's that sort of connection for me, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I've just, I, I hope you're prepared to continue discussing this throughout the length. Cause yeah. I think I, I hate to tell you this, but like, I, I have a lot of villainy in me and uh, shockingly, okay. and I hope you know that I now have a new agenda because the more we talk about the things that we hyper fixate on about stories and the things that we get excited about, I, I find that we have a lot in common about, you know, um, how we like to explore characters and think really deeply. And we love to, we love to develop characters by rubbing them against each other or like hitting them off against each other or like, no kids, you know? Um, and I find that like those people who tend to really like the ensemble cast approach, you know, or the found family or the, you know, like not just one or two characters, but a bunch of characters together. Um, ironically, it's pretty rare in my experience for books to be your favorite medium, because especially lately working in publishing, as you and I both know, publishing tends to be really hostile toward ensemble cast type stuff. Most of the time, they really like a soul hero, right? Um, well, it's hostile towards a lot of shit, but like, I think that's a really good point where, um, you know, the, 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 the trends of storytelling come in and out and it's like each person's kind of unlucky moment to be born, you know, in the whatever time they're born, because, I definitely think that like your writing style and how you tend to paint a scene on the page is definitely something that would have been like hugely important to me when I was reading a lot of like supernatural style fiction, like paranormal, like the Carolyn B. Cooney books, you know, I had been born all the Dean Coons earlier, I would have hit the yeah. like publishing like world the like a storm. <laughs> you, know you know the books that have like a broody mansion on the cover in the 1970s Ooh. and there's like a woman with a dress running? Like I want to bring those back. And I feel like when we do, like a lot of your books would fit into that like the cover is gothic style, but like contemporary characters wearing and there will be a car in it, of course. Yes. But like <laughs> but like that vibe, you know, of like crimson yeah. peaky level of melodrama. Oh. Yeah, that's like exactly much why I want that to come back into the mainstream, especially when it comes to books, because we've we've ignored it for too long, just like we, we have ignored horror it too. for too long. And then everyone was like, oh, shit, shit, we need to buy horror. Anyway, I just, that was a digression, but it is a digression. But on that note, real quick, before we turn around, turn the car around, if you like the TV show Teen Wolf, you will like what both V and I write. End of story. Oh, yeah. Your Teen so, Wolf, definitely. Yeah. Mine yeah, is more. Yours is, <laughs> yours is like on the same. It's no, not Teen Mine's Wolf. Mine's more Winona Earp, I guess, or like yeah. anything by Emily Andres ever, except with, you know, maybe not. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Like, but a very they would be on the same channel for sure. Would we would be on the, be same, on the same network, our shows. And, and I would hope that my stuff. Teen Wolf show would, you know, be not Teen, uh, teen Wolf know. before it went off the rails is hundred percent your vibe in the best my possible way. Wolf, exactly. My best teen wolf, I personally feel is like I feel like I am aligned specifically with season three B in terms of interesting yeah and like quality of writing for the show for teen wolf just because everything else is a little bit questionable you still love it but you're like is this on the cw oh no it's mtv that makes no, sense no yeah like, it makes sense know. that's a whole yeah. other thing we're not going to talk about with the new renewals and everything but no. anyway so okay so no spoilers <laughs> limited, limited spoilers but so now that we understand kind of more of your agendas, you know, personally from a creator standpoint for episode two or chapter two, uh, your yeah. prose version that comes after the episode I wrote, which we partly, you know, performed in the last showy episode. Um, by the way, agendas are what we at AU call the show's character and or ship driven goals. 
We may or may not have made that up, but it works for us since our primary goal is usually the gay agenda. Anyway, uh, now as, you're sh- as you shared with us, like you've, you've told us kind of your goals slash agendas for your showy episode number two that's coming up. Can you tell me more about the specific agendas that you want to explore in this next chapter and for which characters you're you're focusing on? Hell yes, I can tell you all of these things. So first and foremost, we are going to address... Mm, okay, we're gonna address Miss Bess. <laughs> so there's a few Say things. Yes to the best. <laughs> yes to the best. Oh no. <laughs> we got I'm gonna use that line. That's going, that's that's going in. <laughs> Put it in, please. <laughs> okay, so there's quite a few things about Bess that B and I have discussed. We love show Bess. We adore show Bess. However, she is quite different from book Bess. So uh, let's, I I know this is a special thing for V. This is V's big annoyance of the show. So I feel like I should give the best annoyance moment over to you real quick. It's like (laughs) the rage started off. The rage desk, the beef desk, if you will. Um, So so like for me, I will say that as a young, you know, plus size child, uh, plus size, you know, adolescent growing up reading all the Nancy Drew books. One of my favorite things about the original Nancy Drew books is that Bess is a fat character who's canonically fat, who is beloved by all. And even though she is frequently shown, you know, in the original books as like always being hungry, always eating, wanting to snack, wins lunch, that kind of thing. It wasn't done in like a pejorative, especially not for the time. Like for the time, it was not as fat phobic as it could have been. Um, and I was actually really looking forward to it when I heard that they were rebooting Nancy Drew in like a more diverse way, in a modern way. I was really excited for them to have a char- a fat character who was not, you know, just, just matter of fact, fat and love and life and everyone loved her and she was great she was having relationships and going on adventures and solving mysteries yeah and instead they cast this actress who's fantastic who i love but who is like maybe the skinniest person they could possibly find to play this this actress um and that is what i you know i was like man such a missed opportunity because they did make the cast more diverse from the books but they they stopped as as shows often do they stopped short you know with like going going fully you know fully diverse according to the real world and what the real world looks like. So, uh, but then we're still going to be really ableist and fat phobic to, you know, balance it out. And it just seems un- unnecessary to me, but maybe, yeah. you know, it's this could, could be better is my thought, but tell me about, tell me about how you're going to handle that in our alternate universe version. Okay. So in our alternate universe, Miss Bess has quite a few things she's going to be handling at the beginning and moving into the rest of the season. Uh, we are going to not only be dealing with her weight, um, we're also going to be dealing with some of her weird ass family history because poor girl has been given absolutely whack storylines. It's like an Alexis Rose thing happening where it's like, oh yeah, it's like that time when I was kidnapped by pirates. What? Right. That's definitely a thing that she has going on. And um, unfortunately they're not, they don't just do it like in terms of backstory, they literally throw it into the show as well and just give her these ridiculous storylines and then make them disappear for no reason, like the entire Marvin family storyline. I still see absolutely no point for that. I'm still really upset that we still haven't really had any proper closure. It was just kind of like, bye, this is over and done with. And by the way, Bess was married, but now she's not. And that dude's gone all in one episode. We're fixing it. We're fixing it. We're giving her a proper storyline. Bess is being highlighted this season. It is the season of Bess. Maybe not, but like we're we're getting there. Yeah, I think that's, and for those who aren't listening, like you're going to be really fucking confused if you haven't watched the show because, (laughs) and, and to be fair, we're confused too, to an extent. But I do feel like the, the number of, you know, with you have a character who's treated like a side character, like a sidekick or a comedic relief, which she often is, and then you'll randomly give them like a serious episode. I can think off the top of my head of like three episodes where Bess got like a serious story arc mm-hmm. and they did an okay job dealing with it where, you know, cause I, I, I love a character who has trauma and ends up a sunshine character anyway, you know, like that's a great, I love that trope. However, you can't just randomly like roll the dice and be like trauma roll 12 and then like make it up on the spot it has to make sense and that's unfortunately it feels like Bess has just won the bad storyline lottery 
consistently. And so leftover backstory and they threw it into best, which, yeah, yeah. but, but I will say you have a lot of great material to work with Mm -hmm. as, as a result of like retconning or what do we call like, you know, the explaining away when we say stuff like, why are you like this? You know, like, why are you like this? Like, so I hope that you're going to address, you know, kind of like her clearly coded. I find I I can't look away from the ED coding and, you know, Mm -hmm. trigger warning for anyone, but like as someone who had a parent with eating disorders and recognized a lot of the signs, they not only made a thin character, but they made her always eating and never exercising and never talking about weight loss. And so to me, as someone who's very highly sensitive to that, I immediately thought, oh no, like, do we have an eating disorder, you know, history for this character? Because it just, it's something that if you're not careful as a writer and you put something on there, like, but don't reference it, then people are going to assume what they're going to assume. Right. So I love, I love that you're thinking about kind of exploring that more in a way that's like (laughs) constructive without adding further trauma. Thank you. I mean, we're trying. And I think it obviously helps that you were like collaborating because um, it makes it a little bit easier to, I mean, I have my own experience there as well, but I do think that you have a very obvious relationship with Bess. And I think that it means a lot to you. And uh, like in a different way, just because you grew up with, with Bess in the way that she was relatable. And while she was that like that way for me too, Bess was not my favorite character in the books. And so it's really, I've given, uh, I have a new, you know, love for her because of the TV show. Um, But it's also giving me the experience of, you know, really thinking about how do we connect book Bess to where she is now and how she possibly ended up in this situation. And so that's what I'm really excited to explore personally. Well, speaking um, of book Bess, what do you think about how in the books, you know, her and George were cousins and they mm-hmm. were always, you know, it was like Bess and George were like a pair that came as a unit and they would join Nancy on adventures, but you almost never got one without the other. What do right. you think, as a as a fellow queer person, I'm just saying <laughs> the first thing I thought when I saw the show yeah. and I realized they were they were not related. I was like, well, that's well, surely I thought. Yeah. Right. I also thought the same exact thing. Unfortunately, the show has not done that yet. But um, as of the events of season three, because once again, have to say it, spoilers, if you have not seen season three, George and Ned are not currently together. And so that <gasps> gives us the opening because this show <laughs> the show has already paved the way with Odette which while it may not technically be burying our gaze it's goddamn close it is goddamn We're close smashing our gaze with a hammer and burying two crystal halves <laughs> right it's just fucking ghosting the gaze like that's all it is at this point that so is, you know, yeah haunting the gaze is a yeah, new premise so, that I am now realizing is actually a thing in multiple series. Uh, uh-huh. uh, it is. Afterlife it is. coming out only in the afterlife only to be sent to super hell. Right. So yeah, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> oh. um, as, as good as this show is, is about certain things, it sure does hit that like the hammer on the head of some um some tropes that I, we're tired of seeing yeah some tropes that we're tired of seeing and i am i am fixing it i am fixing it as best as i possibly can like you're gonna tell me that odette lived in george's body existed and loved in george's body and george didn't feel an ounce of it and best isn't like just chilling being super hot all the time i'm sorry i'm sorry and addy is great addy is great these are valid questions do not work so Okay, we're gonna. Again, we're you're gonna be so confused if you don't watch the show. But can you just yeah. tell me what some of the ship? What will some of the tags of this be? If this was an AO3 fic, what would some of the tags for the next chapter be? Oh Jesus Christ! Um, well, as we've already mentioned, I am the connoisseur of mutual pining and slow burn. So it's happening. We have a little bit of that going on. Nice. Um, we are also hmm, <laughs> angst. Hashtag angst. Yes. Oh and me. Thank you. Yes. Um, we do need to address, there will be EB trigger warning. So while that's technically not a hashtag, we do have to throw that in there. And I just kind of want to say it, say it now so that whoever is listening knows, um, it will content warning. Is it stabby? Oh, um, I don't know how stabby it's going to be yet. It's emotionally stabby. It will be emotionally stabby. That should be the, I feel like that's where we're, I feel like that's where we're at right now. Uh, (laughs) 
there will definitely be good nice content. There will be um, POVs from basically all of our main characters, I think. Awesome. The only one who might not get one off the top of my head because I, I, I haven't figured out what I'm doing with him yet. And it's just going to be you and me need to discuss things. Okay. Is, and like, he's the only one that I'm like, nah, do I really need to be in your head? Not really. Like, yeah. Um, George, George has some exciting things going on. George has some exciting things. Um, Ooh, I had a good one. I just had a good AO3 tag for a George situation, but I can't say it without it being a spoiler. So never mind. Yeah, don't worry. We'll, we'll address all of the possible tags at the beginning of the next episode, as well as any possible trigger warnings. Um, but just know that you've got some good angsty shit coming up. We've got some good ship stuff and we'll see what I decide to choose to read next episode. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I will do my best to not do you dirty in terms of like, you know, not delivering the emotions that I tell you I'm going to. Okay. I will do you dirty in terms so are those of the, the main are those the main agendas then? Like so the best backstory slash queer oh. best ship agenda per chance? Or like that specifically is, for this episode, I mean. Specifically for this coming episode, we have a best and mm, best and nascent. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> adjacent situation um i will go ahead and give away that it is going to be a platanker like heavy episode we we're going to have a lot of best and uh ace situations happening because they are personally a platonic my, platankership yeah they are one of my favorite relationships in the entire was known as the uh disaster lesbian and emotional support himbo ship dynamic exactly fan exactly exactly uh so yeah that's basically those are our big things i also do oh, i do have to say that this is a pretty big agenda in just about all of my um things moving forward is ned slash nancy not being the show's end game and instead it's ace but ace is actually just book ned <laughs> so that's my other main agenda obviously but like also bringing it to light and making it a little bit more i just want to make sure that we discuss it that's something i just want to that's sure. my agenda is the discussion <laughs> well I, mean, I know i've sent you multiple voice memos to this effect but when i went exactly. back and i i recently went back and reread like the first 10 nancy drew books that i had on my shelf and so and for those who don't know, I want to nerd out with us. Like if you're the person that listens to the show and then goes and reads all the shit like we are. Uh, so the first appearance of Ned Nickerson in the Nancy Drew books was number seven of the original series, The Clue in the Diary by Carolyn Keene. Look it up. And my favorite part about it is he literally, like if you go and you read this scene, which happens on about page like 12 of the story, the first appearance of Ned Nickerson is literally, you can picture it happening with Ace Ace Hardy, as we like to say, uh, literally verbatim without changing a single thing, because he literally, the first thing he does is tries to steal her car, or she thinks he's trying to steal her car, because he sees that the car is in danger, and his little himbo mind just goes, must save car, no, at no point did he ask himself, is it cool to jump into this car and drive it off without asking the owner, he just wanted to save the car, Nancy chases him in the car, and the first thing he does is grin at her and is like, hi, like literally the most Labrador slash uh, golden retriever energy of this character. And it's freaking hilarious. Um, it is too cute. Yeah. Highly recommend going to read it because it's it's a classic scene. It continues to get more shenanigans but yeah, big fan of that. Um, so you've already talked about the who, you've talked about the why, you talked about the what, now the how. So you've written books, you've written a lot of scripts, you've written a lot of fanfic. One thing that sucks for a lot of people about books, and one reason why I, as a person who likes structure in it, you know, to a degree, I appreciate when I'm given a set of rules is for me, screenwriting, it's like, you know, you know, pages a minute and you know that like most shows are like 50 pages or so or whatever, right? Uh, so for, for this, how are you going to, if you're going to do prose, what parameters are you giving yourself? How are you going to execute the thing and what tools are you going to use? Ooh, okay, so since this is like the inaugural episode of me and my projects, I haven't really expressed like what I'm using at all before. So I guess we'll go ahead and just dive into that now. I am a hardcore Scrivener fanatic, 
I have always been in love with Scrivener as my like primary writing tool. I found out about it, its existence like right after high school and basically have shifted my entire electronic usage and like devices in honor of being able to use Scrivener. I'm not even kidding. I literally switched over and was like a diehard I hate Apple products person for so long, but Scrivener works primarily with Macs. Uh, it took like three years for them to release the most updated version of Scrivener for Windows. It was ridiculous. It was insane. Uh, so I basically just for ease of the program use, which has become like it is everything to me. I use it constantly. Uh, I'm now an Apple user. So Scrivener is mostly what I use. The best thing about Scrivener to me is not only its versatility in terms of like writing and what you can do with it, but also it makes it really easy to um, try new projects and try new styles of things because it literally comes with templates for just about any basic type of writing style included. So if you are brand new to writing screenplays, but you want to try your hand at it, Scrivener literally has a template. You open up a new document, you use a drop down tab into its temp templates and bam, there you go. If you don't know how to use anything, you can watch a three minute video on YouTube and figure it out perfectly. So Scrivener will always be like my favorite tool to use and scream about. I'm so sorry if you are a Windows user and you also love Scrivener. Trust me, I was there. The easiest thing to do is just go to Apple, <laughs> go to Apple. <laughs> well, yeah. No, because like, I mean, especially if you're talking about nonlinear thinking and if you're writing scenes out of order, because I, I can't remember I who told me this, so because okay. you write scenes out of order. So that's why mm -hmm. I find a lot of the writing advice that people will give, whether it's writing screenplays or writing pilots or writing, you know, books, uh, a lot of people will give really neurotypical advice and it I'll, just does yeah. not work for everybody, you know, type I agree of brain. With that. Uh, one thing that I hear so often, and I mean, yeah, this is, this is what every author beats their drum on half the time is you need to write every day or you should be writing every day and all of this other stuff. I will blatantly tell you, I have almost never had somebody give me writing advice that worked for me because my brain is so different from every other person's brain. <laughs> and so is yours. Like neurodivergent people are so isolated in terms of how their brain works and every single person is a different experience and yeah it, it, writing advice always makes me really upset for that exact reason and that's kind of like why I'm so excited to do this show is just kind of to prove that you don't need to follow real writing advice quote unquote real writing advice to get shit <laughs> yeah, done. follow our fake advice yeah follow our fake <laughs> advice up. we made, yeah, it up made up fake advice no like i don't know i feel like the way like that we, not necessarily untrue to be fair i mean yeah i mean frankly if if you are listening to this right now and you think that anything that we have said is actual like you have to do things this way gospel. or like look at all the gospel for the love of God, please don't listen to that. Well, don't listen to yeah, that little voice all, in your head. That we're a bunch that. of little, yeah, demon mm -hmm. gremlins who are unholy as all get out. And so nothing we do or say is gospel, to be fair. Yeah. But it's and also not canon a lot of the time, which I think exactly. dovetails very nicely. It leads us into our, our usual wrap-up language. Um, yeah. You know, the Ds, if you will, which we're always <laughs> very big on the Ds, the disclaimers after the H. Um, mm -hmm. First of which, and I think what Ray said kind of perfectly encapsulated, like the first disclaimer that we should always kind of goes without saying, but doesn't in our case, is you should never take anyone's advice as gospel. You should even if we give you best practices, even if we say, hey, here's a tool that worked for me, you might have a completely different project and your your use of tools will be the same. Everyone, you know, has different tools and apply them differently. And the best thing you can possibly do as any kind of creator, but especially a collaborative creator, is respect yourself and your process, but also be very compassionate toward other people in their processes and don't try and waste your process off on someone else or make them create your way, because then you're, you're going to have a bad time when it comes exactly. to, time to share like you and I, great example, you and I do not process as a, you know, as a project manager by a trade for many years now, I find myself constantly when I work with my creative buddies on projects, when I partner with people, 
I constantly take a tone that I have to feel like I apologize for. Cause it's like, I'm going to be the scope cop. You know, I'm going to be the one that's like, Hey guys, we got scope creep issue. You know, we started off doing this thing. Now we're yeah. doing this thing and it's making my project management very nervous. Um, I literally had that conversation earlier today. And like, I had the same but, moment where like, yeah. I have specific things that I get like nervous and anxious about that. Like that. I don't know if V is going to understand how I laid this out for this exact yes. purpose like you well, know this it's is why yeah it's a partnership and this is why i'm such a big believer in kind of like this socialist approach to storytelling because traditional production is very hierarchical and vertical and it's very like oh you got to get permission there's always someone above you telling you what you can and can't do and so i think the future of storytelling as we're seeing happen more and more now is people who are, instead of being, it's called influencing without authority is kind of what it is. It's like when you are, you're managing projects, not people. And so when we are, when we are finagling the story and we're kind of pulling it out and picking it apart, it's very important to both of us. We are not picking apart each other. We're not picking apart each other's writing style, each other's talent. We're not, when we question each other, we're not questioning each other's like a personhood or, or veracity of their experiences. We're not yes. saying, oh, you're not valid. I'm valid, but you're not. We are questioning ourselves to make ourselves better. But I think that's another thing we'll go into later, like the disclaimer of constructive feedback and what's actually constructive and is actually going to be good for the baby, you know, the project that yep. we're raising together and with it, which is actually going to be an abusive relationship, you know, for us and for the child, the child, of course, being the story. The child story. being season yep. four. This creepy little baby that we have. Um, so, so that's a great disclaimer. Um, our other disclaimers, as per usual, under Title 17, Section 107 of the United States Code governing copyright, fair use allowance is made for purposes such as criticism, comment, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. In cases where we feature AU fanfic written by us or with permission from the authors, these will always be for nonprofit, educational, and informational purposes only. That is the overall D for AU City, but we will include more detailed disclaimers as needed, since our intention here is to critique and learn from IP together, not to appropriate it. Okay, kids, housekeeping is officially pulling into the driveway, and that means we're going to pull out. <laughs> yeah, I know what I said. Point being, thank you for listening to AU City, your local hashtag currently deviating from canon podcast, where anything goes as long as it's consensual. I have been your slowly burning, who knows if it's mutual pining connoisseur and host, Ray Noble, and I'm going to go figure out what the fuck the moon is doing. <laughs> Trust me, it's mutual. <laughs> I've been V Park, reluctant catcher of horrifically large spiders and possibly future arsonist in self-defense of my house. <laughs> I'll tell you that story later. Stay tuned for updates on Spidergate 2022. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and review our podcast where you're able, especially if you're enjoying our dulcet tones in your ears sporadically or fortnightly. We haven't decided yet. Who knows? In the meantime, gentle listeners, stay weird and never apologize for asking questions. Mic drop. <laughs>